Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and how are you out there? We're starting our show a little late today, and I'm really, really, really excited today about the show that we have for you. We have two amazing women with Women's Day coming up. It was only right that we kicked off the show starting with this uh, show today. So we really have an amazing show for you. We actually have Anita T. Boninger of Soma Wellness Arts, and that's going to be really amazing and different. I love it. And then we have Julian Kaganda of Vibrant Design Group and Bold and, Bold and Fearless.me online. And so without further de- delay, I would like to bring on our co-host from San Francisco, well-known music producer, Jay Logan. So, Mr. Logan, how are you? How I'm are doing you? fine. I'm doing fine, Gail. I hear we have a terrific lineup for the show today with Anita and Julian. Well, yes, and, you know, I am waiting on Anita. So, you know, while I'm waiting on, uh, we're waiting on Anita, why don't you fill everyone in on what is happening out there with the link, you know, with the sound bites of today? Okay. Let's, let's uh, take a look at those. Uh, uh, well, we have... Uh, situation going on in Florida, as uh, you might not know, uh, they want to change the A to F system uh, for how they grade kids, and uh, they want to pretty much um, uh, try a new system. They're saying it's the kids aren't learning and not being graded well enough. And I don't know if I agree with that because, you know, I grew up with the A to F system, and it's been working fine with me, Gail. I don't know how you feel about it. <laughs> well, let me, but let me ask you this. You know, you know, there's been an argument, Jay, as we both have talked about on the, on the show before, about common core standards and, and whether mm-hmm. that is, you know, where it's the same standards for all kids across the board. And teachers have been fighting about this. So, you know, I'm not surprised. It seems that our education system continues to fluctuate on how they think the best grading system is, you know. Mm-hmm. And I... I'm not sure we should keep playing and, you know, teeter-tottering with the system because if it's, if it's going to keep changing, even kids and parents won't know what will be the best situation for their children, you know, and how then do we best dictate how kids are graded not only through, you know, grade school, high school, and then on to college. Well, the colleges, you know, the colleges are changing to online. You can now get certain certifications. They're going into mm-hmm. uh, charging anywhere from 50 to 150 per class, offering it free or getting a, cert- a certification 
online. So it's really our system of education is changing, whereas the systems in other countries are remaining the same. Or is that going to put us far behind or, you know, forward? So that's, that's the only thought I have. So what, what I'll do here is, you know, before we go into the rest of the news for today, I do have Anita on the phone. Are you ready to bring Anita on? Oh, yes. I'm, I'm more than ready. <laughs> All right. Well, well, let's go then, Mr. Logan. Hello, Anita. How are you? Hi, Anita. Hi. Good. Can you hear me? Yes, we can yes. hear you just okay, fine. Great. You know, great. I, you know, we are so excited, you know, to have you on the show. Okay. So thank you. you know, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And you know, we just can't. We just can't wait until our audience hears you know, what you have to share with them. So, you know, Anita, we ask that you tailor your answers to the questions so we can get everything you do in with our audience because we want to be a little selfish with you today, okay? Got it. Yes, yes. we we want our audience to get get the sense of everything about you, Anita, so we don't want to tell everything before at hand. So don't tell everything because you want to slow it down so they can understand everything that you do and all the great things about you. Okay. So, you know, Anita, you know, we know you work as a healer. We know that you work in integrative medicine. We know that you work in something called, you know, somatic movement education. And we actually wanted to start our audience of knowing offhand. What we would love to know is what is somatic movement? That's a great question. Um, Well, somatic movement as a field started um, at the end of the pretty much the 20th century in Europe as a parallel discipline to physical therapy. Some people even say it was the, the father or mother of, of modern-day physical therapy. But the difference between somatic movement therapy and physical therapy now is that somatic really means like the experience of the body from the inside, the um, the way that we are as a, as a complex living system of systems within systems and how, um, how we're actually experiencing being a body. So it's not a separation between the mind and body or um, just a bunch of parts that we are, but that the whole system is, is constantly communing with itself. And so there are many different disciplines within the field of somatic movement therapy. Some people have probably heard of Alexander Technique or Feldenkrais um, or body-mind centering. Those are all considered branches of somatic movement therapy. So that's an overview. I mean, there's lots more I could say about it, but that's basically an overview of it. Yeah, what, what are some of the other things that you integrate with uh, somatic movement? Well, it's what I do is very much drawn from a lot of dance training as well, um, yoga, meditation, and movement practices that often include Tai Chi and Qigong. So ah. depending on who is in front of me or what kind of class I'm teaching, I will incorporate any number of those different traditions and practices for people So whatever I see that their body needs, I'm just watching people's bodies as I work with them and seeing, okay, this person needs more light movement. They're too heavy in their body in some way. There's a a constriction. There's 
tension. Maybe they're uh, constantly fatigued. Maybe they struggle with a chronic condition and they're always on the verge of burnout. So I craft a practice for them, a movement practice that they can use every day. And everybody needs something a little bit different. So um, one size doesn't fit all. And people need more grounding. They need to lie down and just relax their nervous system and learn how to regulate their nervous system through breathing differently than they normally do. Um, So there's lots of different techniques to get people to balance. Wow. Just watching their body. Yeah. This is really interesting because, you know, um, I don't know if this actually answers the next question, Jay, but, you know, Anita, one of the things I was wondering, you know, in reading about, you know, uh, what you do, I, I, I have to tell you what, what you do and being someone who's taking your classes right now, I can really say that it's brought a lot of <laughs> peace and joy. You know, I re- really, I'm laughing again. You know, not to say I wasn't laughing mm. before, but Jay can tell you when it comes to work, I get really serious, you know. And <laughs> what one of the things I really loved was about the mind-body. Can you tell us what are the mind-body therapies you incorporate with somatic movement? I know you said a lot about it, but, you know, some of our audience may not really be aware of, like, you know, some of the Alexander techniques or the Pilates or the yoga or different things. So can mm-hmm. you share from, more from a layman's point of view, what are the mind-body therapies you incorporate with somatic movement? Okay, um, some of them include more subtle things like hypnosis. So a lot of people think hypnosis, they associate hypnosis with um, a, a watch that's moving back and forth in front of their face or some kind of TV show, but it's really pretty simple and it's just getting people into a different part, a different aspect of their perception, a different, even different parts of the brain light up when people are undergoing hypnosis. It's very similar to deep relaxation that happens at the end of a yoga class, for example. And it's a way to access, sometimes people um, go on to, they go into more of their imagination. So they start to see images, they start to get insights and even have sensations in their body they didn't have, they wouldn't normally have, or on the mundane level they wouldn't have. And it opens up also emotions that, give people information, like, oh, that's why I'm stuck around that one behavior, or that's why I have this addiction, or, you know, now hypnosis is used to help people stop smoking, or to lose weight, or to work through a childhood abuse. So lots of different uses for hypnosis, and I like to use it in an intuitive way and feel where does that person's being want to go? Where do they need the most attention right now? Maybe they really just need to focus on self-love and cultivating an, an attitude of appreciation and cherishing of their body. So going into a hypnotic state, which is deeply relaxed, then giving them a suggestion of deeply loving and honoring and cherishing their body and going through different parts of their body and actually naming those parts and saying to their body, I love you, you are beautiful, I cherish you, I honor you, in that hypnotic state has more impact than if they just say it from a mundane, everyday street state. <laughs> it's just going to be different. It's a different impact. I hope that's I, I mean, yeah. Anita, I understand you work with women to discover their inner feminine self. Would you tell us 
how you do that without giving too much away to the audience because we have other questions. Would you tell us how you do that? I love this topic. <laughs> so if I go on too long, you're going to stop me. But um, this is a topic I'm really passionate about. I feel that it's a time where there's more knowledge available to women than there has been in probably centuries around empowering ourselves, awaken our sexuality in a healthy way, learning to open and govern our sexual energy, which to me just means our creative life force energy, in, a, in a whatever way that we choose. And it could be with a partner, it could be without a partner. Um, learning to open up sexual energy and govern it is something that's been done for thousands of years in many traditions around the world. And things like in yoga and also in Qigong, which is a sister practice to Tai Chi. Some people are more familiar with Tai Chi. Um, but these, these knowledge systems have been around for a long time. Many of them were also created by women, for women, and handed down by, from grandmothers to their, their daughters and grand, granddaughters. And somewhere along the way, a lot of this knowledge got either lost um, or actively destroyed. But luckily, we can, we're starting to see a resurgence of this knowledge. And I had the good fortune to study with two masters of feminine knowledge systems from India, from ancient um, Egypt, from South and uh, Central American traditions. So two masters who traveled the world and just shared this knowledge with other women. And I saw a dramatic change in my own life in that my creativity really just exploded. I ended up painting a whole bunch of paintings that year that I studied mm-hmm. with them and I did these practices. I started my income way up. And seeing different kinds of men into my life than I had before. It's this totally different caliber of men. So it was a huge impact. And I realized, you know, every woman can have this. Every woman can access this. It's just a matter of um, practicing these techniques that we're now able to access again. Well, I'm going to tell you something. We probably now, you know, we got a guy on the phone, Anita, so we probably shouldn't have gone in too much because now he's going to wonder, oh, what can I do now? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, there's plenty for men, too. It's it's not exclusive. There's so much that um, so much out there for men as well to develop this aspect of themselves in a healthy way. Well, we have a question um, and it like really is the foundation of health as well. What I... Why I'm so passionate about it is because I see that it brings vibrancy and vitality to people where we're otherwise struggling along trying to just make it um, and suffering from exhaustion and and low-grade burnout. And it's avoidable, and it's possible to live a vibrant life. It really is, you know, and... You know, I you know I understand you have classes that support women in discovering their feminine side, so we know that. But is this? I have a question. You may have already touched on this. Is this helpful? How women engage across all areas of their lives? Like I know you shared what's come up for you, 
But, you know, you know, Jay is on the phone, and a lot of other men and women don't understand, like, you know, somatic movement, you know, um, the integrated um, other um, mind-body technologies that you use. How, you know, how, how does this help women engage themselves across all areas of their lives? Well, I think when a woman is, when she starts from the foundation of her being, which to me is the sexual energy or creativity, then all other areas are going to be affected in a positive way. Um, in many, many years of society, we've been taught that sexuality is something dirty or bad or shameful or it's just not appropriate, it should be hidden, um, that to express it in a, in a kind of natural, balanced way um, is somehow a threat to others. There's just a lot of programming out there. And then we go to either extreme. Sometimes we have the opposite extreme where there's just this other image of sexuality that's been commercialized and um, monetized, you know, in the entertainment industry. But what's missing is education around simply being expressed as a f- in a feminine way and having that be okay and having it be about who we are as creative beings. And it's not just women, men, men as well. But for women's health, specifically, I think opening up sexual energy, learning to govern it through traditions like Qigong and Tai Chi and certain yogic practices and feminine arts, feminine knowledge, goes a really long way in helping a woman balance her hormones, in having healthy skin, healthy organs, having higher levels of vitality and energy, um, and just simply learning to embody that feminine essence that we have in a way that brings joy and more beauty and more life everywhere we go, and that it doesn't have to be limited to just one setting. It can show up in a really healthy, life-giving way in the workplace. And that's something that, you know, I think it's... um, it's still very controversial in some cases. Like, well, you can't express your feminine, vulnerable, um, sensual self in a professional setting. That's just not appropriate. But there's a way to do that that's magnetic and life-giving and focus more on pleasure as opposed to suffering and, you know, hardship and conflict. But that's the feminine way. That's the message of the feminine is things can be done just as effectively in an easeful, fluid, harmonious way and doesn't have to be about striving and competing. And I think that's probably the biggest revolution that I'm seeing in the business world and in all the new businesses and projects that are being created by women all over the world that it it can be done in this other way that's about collaboration and community and including everyone, that there's enough for everyone and nobody is excluded. That's a more feminine way of doing business and of creating new structures. So it all very much ties in together how a woman honors her body has an impact on how she, what she creates in the world. And it, and it just ripples out in many, many ways. So. Well, Gail, Gail and Anita, let me get in here as, as, as being a man here. Maybe, would men understand these teachings you incorporate with men? Is there 
getting to know your masculine side? How does that how does that work? Would men understand these teachings that you're um, teaching? Well, there are practices for men and practices for women specifically, and then there are practices for everyone. You know, and it's mm-hmm. you could do a man could do the same practice as a woman, but get different results, or be building something oh. else in himself. So, for example, in the, in some of the Chinese medicine practices, the Qigong and Taoist teachings around sexuality, there are specific breathing and movement practices that men can do to learn to control their sexual energy and harness it for their health so that they have more and more energy. They don't, they don't deteriorate as fast. Their organs stay vital. Their health stays very, very intact throughout their life. Their, you know, bones are healthy. So that all these systems in their body are actually nourished by sexual energy. They have this concept really deeply mapped out. And there's training that men can undergo to, to achieve extraordinary health and potency and vitality. And, um, and that's, you know, there's people like Mantak Chia who are teaching these these practices. Um, there are other teachers in this country who are doing that. So it's available now for men. And I would, I would say the same is true. When a man is building up his essence in that way and, um, and practicing every day and really training himself in this way, specifically around sexual energy because there's so little education, again, in our culture around it, when a man really gets to achieve that mastery, the effects are multiple. I mean, there's, he's going to have more vitality, more charisma, be able to command his time better, be able to influence others if he's in business, be, um, just be more vital overall. And who doesn't want to be around someone like that, you know, who's giving and emanating this vitality and integrity? There's just a certain integrity in it as well that I can always pick out in a room full of people if there's a man there who's practicing either martial arts or Tai Chi, Qigong, I can tell by the way he carries himself. And sure enough, if I ask him, oh, do you practice Qigong? He'll say, yeah, I do. How did you know? <laughs> I can just tell because of the way he, he inhabits his body. And um, wow. so I think this is really special knowledge that everybody can benefit from. And I also do train and teach men in these techniques as well. Well, then you just answered my next question. <laughs> so my, my next question is, you know, um, I, yeah, you actually, he, she just answered it, Jay. <laughs> so, so, Jay, I'm going to take your question. Is that okay, sir? Oh, great. That's, that's, oh, man. I want to, oh, go ahead. You can. Okay, all right, all right. I won't take it. I won't okay. take it. So, you know what? I'll just <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll do my question then. How can men also benefit from these, te- these teachings you provide for women? Well, I do work one-on-one with men um, teaching certain techniques. I don't know all of them. I, don't, I can't call myself a master of, of these Taoist teachings. But the things that I know I give, and I, there's a wide variety of techniques that I do share with you know, all of my clients, depending on their needs. And I find that, that the men I'm, get, I'm working with get 
as much, if not more, out of what I'm teaching than the women. Because again, this is, this information is is still very slowly, you know, getting out there, and a lot of men um, are just as lost as women about, you know, how how do I avoid um, or or how do I increase magnetism? Why why is it that women are not being drawn to me the way that I feel that I deserve, or why is it that some men, they attract all the women and others don't? Well, there's certain very basic primal things um, on an unconscious level that are going on. <clears throat> and when when we're in a social situation, we're reading people's bodies, even if we're not aware of it. 90% of communication is nonverbal. And <clears throat> there's just certain ways that a man can learn to occupy and inhabit his body and master his sexual energy, his his potency, that um, that will have an impact in all areas of his life as well. Just like how women, when they're doing this feminine practices, they'll notice a difference in their life. When one way or another, things are going to change. Um, women tend to get more magnetic. They, they start to attract different things into their into their orbit. And men tend to feel more confident. They start to attract more, maybe more wealth, <clears throat> maybe more opportunities. Maybe people start to listen to them more. So it's just an interesting, these subtle differences, but they do make a huge impact. Um, I have, in, regarding, in, in the same um, topic here, do you teach these classes to men? And if you do, how those do they differ from what women women learn in their in your classes? What's the difference? It's the different techniques. Right now, I'm not teaching classes for men. I'm only doing one-on-one sessions with men. And okay. I would like to do actually a combined group in the future and co-teach with um, one of my one of my male friends who's a teacher of some of this knowledge because I think it's good for men to also learn these techniques from other men. There, there's definitely certain things that I can teach men and offer them the perspective, the feminine perspective, and what's going on, why are women reacting to them the way they are, um, some of the more like royal tantric knowledge that is about relationships and the polarity of, of feminine and masculine. What I'm seeing, and maybe... Other people observe this too, but it seems like the tendency now in mainstream culture is toward neutralizing feminine and masculine. It's like we're supposed to all become the same. And women, I think that's partly a product of this modern feminist movement, which gave us so much, but also might have gone too far in certain directions and limited the appreciation of the beauty inherent in the masculine and feminine essences. And this isn't to negate, you know, all this. There's a big spectrum of feminine and masculine. So there are people that fit all the way along that whole spectrum. And it's it's really about honoring your own essence, your expression. And, you know, there might be people listening who identify as gay or um, <clears throat> lesbian, and that's that's a whole other way of expressing these qualities and part of the spectrum. And those qualities are still there in every person. So ultimately, I think we cultivate these qualities. We learn to honor and appreciate them. And 
um, and recognize ourselves in the other and the other in ourselves. And the only problem that I see in, in sort of a mainstream society is if we completely erase the some of the differences and try to make everything androgynous, we miss some of the beauty in the polarity. And there's just something mysterious about it, but there is something there around someone with a strong masculine essence and someone with a, a strong female essence. And that can include everybody, um, but I do think it's important to honor those those differences. Interesting. Um, I, have a, I want to slide this question in. Um, um, oh, yeah. really, I just wanted, that was, Yeah, yeah just, just real quick. I'm, 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 I want to know, how do we come to needing these services? Like, what are some of the symptoms? How do you know that, we need to, that I need to come see Anita? What would, be, what would be the first sign of trouble that I should, you know, I would need to come see somebody like you or uh, a person would want to seek your, your skill set? Well, what I see a lot of, are, especially in New York, are people running, racing around and exhausted and with adrenal fatigue and not really fully enjoying their lives. Like they, they want more, but they don't know how to get to it. They don't know what the missing link is. Um, and they just ha- they're operating on a, on a low wattage, what I would call low wattage. It's like there's this there's, there's gray, this is kind of a gloom, and that they know there's more to life, they know there's more to their potential and their health and vibrancy, but they just haven't experienced it fully. And I like to work with people who have... Um, a real sense of where they want to go and they have dreams and visions and goals and they just need to up their energy levels. They just need wow. to learn how yeah. to create more vitality and vibrancy and they don't want to be on medications and they don't want to have surgeries and um, have to undergo expensive procedures down the road because of you know imbalances. And a lot of that's preventable. So I think people who are ready for a shift out of constant low-grade fatigue, burnout, exhaustion, who know there's more to living, who have bold dreams that they want to go for but feel like, oh, I'm just too tired. You know, I have all these things I want to do, but I'm just too tired. That it's possible to actually expand and increase your energy levels through these practices. And I love to watch people literally unfold like a flower. They just start to blossom and start to get more and more energy. They switch jobs. They leave their job. They get promoted. They, um, they move to a new neighborhood that's much better. They start to feel more energy. They start running again. They haven't run in two years. All sorts of things like that start happening. People that I work with, I notice that they're, they just become more vibrant. And that's what I wanted. Those are the kind of people I want to work with who are ready to change, turn up the volume on their vibrancy and, and potential. I like it. I like it. I can't wait till you start working with men. Yeah, you, you know, you got to hook me up now. Um, I, think, I think you need to behave a little bit, okay? Uh, or I'm, gonna have to I'm actually going to have to tell on you if you don't, um, you know, because these are... Okay, so um, (laughs) 
you know, on, you know, on another subject, what has the journey been for you as an entrepreneur since working at NYU? That's a great question. I So far, it's been such a grand adventure. I've really enjoyed it. I, f- I feel that I'm made for this kind of life. And it's not easy, but it's very exciting. And I was just about to write, start writing an article, like a blog post, about why I'm no longer afraid of hard work. <laughs> that would be the title of it. And I used to fear hard work because to me hard work equaled disease and, and early death. Literally, that's what I equated hard work with early death and disease. Mm. Because I had no model of like healthy hard work, you know, creating an abundant life, including health. And now I see hard work to me doesn't mean striving and and scraping and concern and worry. It means what do I create today? Getting up and saying, what am I going to create today? And engaging with the creation process day to day in a way that is filled with joy and with focus and the presence of empowerment, empowering people, empowering um, mental programming, empowering messages, empowering reading, coaching, that have created around me the kind of context where I can succeed. And um, and I no longer am afraid of hard work because hard work doesn't feel like hard work. It. It's. Um, I feel alive. I, I feel turned on. I feel enlivened inspired and I just want to share that. When I'm when I'm making things, trying to make things happen through force, that is the old model of hard work. And it leads to burnout. It leads hmm. to exhaustion and and then often disease of some kind. So I'm like, okay, it's possible to work many hours in the day. Get up early and go to bed late and work. Um, but I've lis- I listen to my body and I know when to stop. I know when to take a break, breathe, move, dance, stretch, go back to work, get up again in an hour, you know, breathe, move, stretch. And I've created a symphony out of that process that feels very organic and enlivening. And I want to share that with as many people as possible, that it's, it is possible to create the life that you want and put in the effort but not have to kill yourself doing it and not have to sacrifice the feeling of aliveness and joy. And it's all possible. This is, this is great news. Um, I'm, I, I mean, I, I have a question. As, as a producer, I'm most interested in this part. How do you incorporate the arts into your teaching? The heart or the arts? The, the arts. You know, art. music, um, You're talking artwork, about like art. Creative, yeah. Creative arts, the arts. Like, you Creative know, arts, yeah. It's a great question, too. I, I'm also, yeah, I have a background also in visual and performing art. And I find that these two worlds are becoming more and more interconnected. 
And I'll give you an example. Just the other day I discovered a new app called Photor, which allows you to take a photo and add all kinds of beautiful effects to it and add text. It's just simple, but it's a way that I've started to market myself. And I just put together a couple of photos, um, added the text, added the effects, and posted it on Facebook. And it's something visually beautiful, visually distinct from an average marketing, you know, commercial kind of thing. Um, and it allows me to express myself creatively because I want beauty in everything I do. I don't want to leave beauty out of the picture. <laughs> I want to share the beauty. And um, while I'm continuing to build my private practice and teach courses, I'm also working on selling my paintings, which I just had a show at the end of last year, and to continue painting and performing and the world really become more and more interconnected. Um, it, it's, all, it's all engaging my creativity. So, yeah, does that answer your question? Or, I mean, I oh, can give yeah, more examples. That's, 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 that's yeah. great. That's a great answer. And I'm, I'm glad that you put the creativity in there and, and, and using apps to do it. So you have totally took this whole, all of this um, ancient technology and the new technology and kind of mesh it together to make it into to work. And I like that. You, know, you answered the question perfectly. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, I'm very grateful to be able to share this. And thank you so much. And it's just been a pleasure to share all of these experiences and insights. And I hope it's offered something intriguing and valuable to those who are listening. Yeah, I want to jump in here. I was wondering, uh, what are the most what, what are you most passionate about in your business? I'm, I would say I'm really passionate about bringing, restoring honor to the feminine or having having every inspiring people to honor their feminine side feminine side whether that's men or you know man or woman um to yeah to bring back the feminine in full force and say it's good it's okay and beautiful and we need that at this time in the world we need the more feminine aspect to be strengthened and i use those terms in a broad way i mean some people don't relate to the difference, You're like, well, what do you really mean by that? To me, the feminine is just one way to look at at life, feminine and masculine. But to me, the feminine qualities are fluidity and flexibility, beauty and sensuality, creativity. It's about connection and and bringing people together, um, and many many other things as well, but. To honor the, to honor those more vulnerable, softer elements of being human, and the nurturing side, which we so need in the world, just really need that, and and also empower women to honor their bodies, to honor their sexuality, and to learn ways to empower themselves and each other. That's what I'm really passionate about, and 
and uh, wow. sharing that in multiple ways. Yeah. You know, I, I really want to tell you this. This offers a lot because, you know, as as two people, you know, Jay and I really like to have people on this show who, you know, bring this kind of, um, you know, duality and that it's not always, you know, the same thing. You know what I mean? And so we just really thank mm-hmm. you for, you know, bringing this kind of, you know, awareness to the show because so many people are not aware of it. Now, the one thing we're, we have our other guests on and the one thing we would like to ask you about is what is, your favorite cause? Mm. That's a great question. I I think empowerment comes to mind, and that's a very broad answer. But education. Um, and I've, in the last two shows, art shows that I put together, were partial fundraisers for women's literacy in um, the Middle East specifically in Pakistan, actually, and to stop the horrible practice of acid burning that goes on in still many parts of the world where a woman who turns down a marriage proposal gets burned with acid, battery acid. It's just unbelievable that it's still happening. And I saw a um, trailer for a documentary that came out in 2012 called Saving Face. And it actually won an Academy Award for Best Short Documentary. It's a really amazing film. And it highlights two women who went through this horrible acid attack experience where basically their whole face was burned off. And they usually target women who are attractive. They get a lot of attention in their village where where they grew up. And often they're harassed for months. And then if if the suitor is turned down for a marriage proposal or sometimes there's not enough dowry paid, they just go after that woman and they throw battery acid on her face. So they, this, this film was about these two women after that happened and how they, um, just how extraordinary they were, how much power they had, how much beauty in the human spirit that they had and were moving forward so that's one cause I'm really passionate about and any cause that really empowers women around the world to um, to create their own businesses, to um, to have education, to create community. That's really my passion. Wow. Well, Jay, do you have any more questions for Anita? Because I really have had an amazing time. Well, she answers all the questions, so I'm just excited and would love to have her back on our show. I think um, very interesting for me, coming from a man's point of view, it's very interesting that um, you guys are doing these great things out there. So, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I, I love her on the show. This has been great. Thank you. Well, I, Thank you well, so we have much. To have, well, the thing is, Anita, we have to have him behave, okay, the next time. Okay. <laughs> okay, we really have to have him behave himself, okay? Because this is, you know, we can't, we definitely can't have this anymore. But, no, we thank you so much for being on the show. And would you let people know where they can find you at? Yeah, if they go to somawellnessarts.com, you can find out more about 
what I do. That's somawellnessarts.com. And, okay. Um, yeah, I encourage you to get in contact with me. There's a form at the bottom of the, each page where you can send me a message and get on my newsletter and find out ways that you can learn these techniques to become your most vibrant self. Well, that, mm-hmm. uh, that sounds really great, and we look forward to it. And do you have any classes that are going on now or any that people can step into? Well, Gail, as you know, having the, I've been teaching the Feminine Knowledge class for the month of February, and then I will be starting another class for women in March, probably mid-March, um, and that will be, um, you know, people that get in touch with me specifically to know about upcoming classes, events, or courses, they can um, fill out that online contact form on my website, and I will send you information on the upcoming classes. And then for anyone who wants to try out also a complimentary just 15 or 30-minute phone consultation to go more into depth of what might be blocking you in your life around your energy levels, your self-expression, if you're struggling with a chronic condition and not sure how to move beyond it or reduce the symptoms that you're feeling, um, please get in touch with me because I'd love to talk with you. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Anita, and we look forward to having you again. Thanks, Gail. Thank you both so much. This was great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Well, Jay, I really enjoyed Anita, okay? Yeah, it was really amazing. I'm really excited. I learned so much from Anita. And now we have another amazing woman, too many beautiful women on the show today. Okay, <laughs> Jay, Jay, you really have to behave, okay? You really do, all right? Or I will have to tell on you, okay? Okay, so okay Jill, without, I'll, I'll behave. All right, well, without... <laughs> Without further ado, we have brought on our other guest, Julian Kaganda. Julian, how are you? I am great, Gail. How are you all? We're doing just fine, but we have to be careful with Jay here because he knows he has two beautiful women on today, okay? So I hear. So I hear. (laughs) Well, well, let's get started here. Well, I think he's trying to. I think he's trying to get out of that one. So we might want to move on to the first question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so too, Julian. I, I think so too. So, Julian, thank you really for being on. You know, I'm excited to have you on. For the audience who doesn't know, I've known Julian for a long time and met her, and uh, through a young lady by the name of actually a mutual friend Amira Woods, who I mentioned at the Clinton Global Initiative. So for me, this is actually to have both these women on today is actually an honor. You know, so you know, well, Julian, you. we are really we're really excited to have you on, and we ask that you tailor your answers to the questions so we can get everything you do in with our audience because we're going to be a little selfish with you today, okay? Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna do my best. Julian, it's nice to meet you also. <laughs> nice to meet you too, virtually all day, but nice to meet you all the same. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So, you know, Julian, I'm glad to have you on. I've wanted you on for a long time. You know, you're a multicultural branding expert, writer, speaker, mother, creative consultant, okay? And it, with so many facets to you, and, and you do it all well, and people have no idea how much hard work you put in, 
um, and this is why I love this woman tremendously. What is the multicultural branding expert, and how does it differ from the mainstream branding? Um, well, I would say the multicultural branding is really more tailored to multicultural audiences. I mean, I think um, branding in general, people have a misunderstanding of what it is. You know, some people think it's just a logo. Some people think it's, you know, how your brochure looks or how your website looks. You know, I like to tell people um, when I'm talking about branding, that branding really comes down to your reputation. So if you're looking at branding as your reputation, then you look at, you know, all the different aspects that make up that reputation from, you know, how you pick up the phone, what your office space looks like, what your business card looks like, um, you know, what is your messaging and your social media saying. So, you know, in the past, and I, and I think even now, you know, there's still quite a need for uh, what we call multicultural branding. Now they're calling it brand marketing. There's different terms for it. Um, but, you know, for the most part, a number of the products that we see out there, there's still a huge gap in terms of how they market it to black audiences, to Hispanic audiences, to Asian audiences. Um, I mean, even now, less than 1%, my understanding is less than 1% of advertising dollars are spent in those communities. And yet it is a trillion, the, the, just the African-American market is a trillion-dollar um, audience. So I think there's a lot of missed opportunities there. And so in terms of the, you know what we do in that regard, I like to say we like to promote positive images of people of color. And so we do that through the branding, the marketing, the design. Wow, thanks, Julian, for that. Because it brings me to my next question. How do you integrate multicultural branding into the mainstream with all consumers? Hmm, that's that's a good question. I think that's been the challenge. It's actually, you know, it's actually, I think, less of a challenge than, than what people think it is. Because if you look at, you know, um, African-American culture, it's already mainstream. It really is already mainstream. It's just that those dollars have not made it into the advertising uh, community. So if you look at, you know, oh. the impact that rap and hip-hop have had on popular culture, if you look at, you know, fashion, clothing, the African-American influence and, and now a growing African influence, you know, it's, it's definitely there, but it just hasn't translated, I think, into the advertising dollars. So when you look at, you know, magazines that advertise products and services we use, we don't necessarily see ourselves in a lot of those ads. So um, I think there's, a, there's, there's definitely a gap, um, but, you know, with every gap there's an opportunity. Interesting. Very interesting. You know, um, one of the things you've created a lot of amazing pro projects, and you know that I'm very much a supporter of those projects. You know, we um, Jay, we actually met in a, a wonderful uh, opportunity that Julian created back in 2008 or 2009 uh, with Discovery at the museum in Washington, where she brought all women of culture together. I mean, across all global communities. And so what I wanted to do is, like, go into some of that, Julian. You've created some amazing projects like the African Diaspora, all right? What mm -hmm. is the African Diaspora so people, uh, uh, like our audiences, will know who that, what that is? 
Sure, sure. Actually, so just to, I think, give a little more context, I was actually born in East Africa, in Uganda, but I came to the United States when I was very young, so, you know, hence the lack of an accent right now, but when I get around my folks, it it comes out like you would never have known. Um, So for me, I've always had an interest in uh, just African culture. Our parents raised us to um, be very proud of our heritage and, you know, we traveled around the country showing people the culture, the music, the dance of East Africa. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the African diaspora, I mean, automatically just having been born on the continent, I'm, I'm a part of that. And the diaspora is basically um, anyone of African descent that is outside of the continent. Um, now, prior to about 2006, most people consider the African diaspora those continental Africans that were, you know, had left on their own and went to find other opportunities outside of Africa. But um, about eight years ago, the African Union actually created something called the sixth region of Africa, and that is what they call the African diaspora. And so what that means is um, Africa is generally divided up into five regions. You have the north, the east, the south, the uh, west, and then the central. And so those are the five. And so they extended it now to six regions to incorporate the African diaspora. So now not just continental Africans, but now you have, you know, there's a huge population of African descendants in Brazil. In fact, Brazil has the largest number of African descendants of any country outside of Nigeria, which I don't know how many people know that, but um, they have managed to keep the African culture alive and well in Brazil, uh, and particularly in a region called Salvador da Bahia, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and then you have, you know, a number of large diasporas all in South America and different parts. Of course, the Caribbean is a huge diaspora, and then you have the African diaspora here, which includes African Americans. Wow. Julian, why is it so important to have an organization like this available? Uh, well, so the organization um, that we created in about 2008 is called African Diaspora for Change. And that really grew out of a desire for all the different diaspora communities, starting you know, primarily in um, the District of Columbia, which is where I'm based. And we really wanted to have a way where we could collaborate on certain things. So initially it started as um, all these different diaspora groups helping to get Barack Obama elected in 2008. And, you know, once that was done, we just recognized that all of the mobilization and the engagement and the community outreach, um, that it really shouldn't end there, that we needed to have a platform where we continue to collaborate on issues of common concern. And so... um, that's where African Diaspora for Change was born, which is definitely one of my, my passions. And so the goal of the organization, the mission of the organization, is to educate and empower African immigrants and the broader diaspora through culture, dialogue, and advocacy. And so our programs um, include a number of different programs. And, you know, part of, the, part of the goal is also to bridge the gap between these different communities. Um, because, you know, historically there's always been this um, sometimes unspoken um, 
for lack of a better word, just an unspoken gap between African, the African community, the African-American community, the Caribbean community, the Afro-Latino, so all these different diaspora groups, um, all these, you know, different issues and, and I think I say artificial separations, and we just really wanted to create a space where we, you know, realize that, look, we're all on this together. And really there's a, a quote that uh, Howard Schultz um, said in the Oprah interview a few months ago, which has stuck with me. And, you know, it, it says, success is better when it's shared. So you could say that's kind of our unofficial mission statement. And, um, you know, we just feel that mm. it's really important to collaborate on, on certain issues, projects, initiatives, and so forth. Wow. Wow. You know, Julian, um, you, know, you, know, you know how I feel about this subject. Uh, when Julian had her event, I thought it was so amazing because she had people there from the African diaspora, Jay, but she also had people mm-hmm. who were from India. She had people who were from um, uh, the Latin community, as she shared, and other places. And what I loved about it is people were engaged. For one thing, Julian will always remember this moment. Am I right, Julian, when I got up and asked? Now, after this great project that Julian has put together, how many of you really are going to connect with each other? And right. that, that, that was really important to me, that people really connected with each other across all cultures, you know, because when mm-hmm. someone like Julian puts something like this together, it's not just there for that day. It has to continue on after that. So it's important that we appreciate those events that bring us together because we wouldn't have known each other outside of that. You know, um, Julian, uh-huh. speaking of this, I hear you created a museum for African history, okay? I'd like to know where it is located and why was it created? Okay, so just to, just to um, clarify, it's actually um, African-American history, although, you know, once I worked on it, I recognized it was also part of, of my history. Um, so the museum is called the Freedom House Museum, and it is based in Alexandria, Virginia, in Old Town, Alexandria. And so the building is actually currently the home of the Northern Virginia Urban League, which is one of about 100 affiliates of the National Urban League, which is one of the oldest um, African-American uh, organizations, empowerment organizations outside of, I think, the NAACP is maybe a year older. Um, and so the project actually came about um, 2006. Uh, the Urban League was looking for a way to create a museum in the basement of the building. They had been there for about, oh, 12, 13 years or so. And they bought the building knowing and understanding the history. And so the building itself is on 1315 Duke Street in Old Town. The building itself is actually um, formerly the site of one of the largest, if not the largest, domestic slave trading firm in the United States. And from 1828 to 1836, the two men who started that business in there, um, you know, ran a very profitable enterprise by selling surplus slaves in, um, from Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, and Delaware down to the south, where there was a huge demand uh, for slaves to farm cotton. And so, um, I mean, when they retired finally from the business in 1836 and sold it to the next uh, group of slave traders, they actually retired some of the richest men in the country. So, you know, I always find it interesting that you have a, a lot of 
spoke to, you know, born and bred in Alexandria, and many of them don't know the history of that city, which was a major hub of the domestic slave trade. Um, and many of them don't even know that that building is there. So, you know, one of the things we've been trying to do over the course of the past year, especially um, between the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation last year and, of course, the March on Washington, and then you had the movie 12 Years a Slave that came out um, late last year, which, I mean, just a phenomenal movie. I, I just can't get it out of my head. Um, but, you know, the, the, the movie, uh, Solomon Northup, the character um, in the movie and in the, the book of the same name, there's actually a connection between Solomon Northup and the museum itself. So the same man who um, sold Solomon Northup into slavery in the South is the same man who was the last owner of the Alexandria Slave Pen, now the Freedom House Museum, right before the Civil War erupted in um, in Virginia. So, you know, the, the Urban League was really just looking for a firm to help bring the story to life. And, you know, the mandate that we received when we were selected to design the museum was that it had to do two things. It had to appeal to all ages, everyone from eight years old to 80. And it also had to leave people, you know, feeling not necessarily depressed, but really more than anything just inspired to keep the story alive and just in educating them and getting them to realize, you know, yes, this is definitely part of our history. It's something that we should never forget. Um, but it, it, it's truly poetic justice because the building has gone from being a place that enslaved black people to one that now empowers black people through the work of the Northern Virginia Urban League. So, you know, I have to say that, that project, I mean, it really changed my life. It actually influenced a lot of the work that I do now. How did you, how did you go about researching what you thought would be best to have in a museum? And what are people learning from the history? Well, we actually, I, I worked with a great team. So I, I headed up the, the team that, that um, designed, built, constructed the, the museum. Um, and, you know, it was interesting because I, I graduated from Marymount University in uh, Northern Virginia, and actually ended up working with my former professor from Marymount, as well as quite a few of the students um, from the school to to be part of that that project. Um, and so we had a number of um, there was actually one particular thesis that the Urban League had, which was written by um, a gentleman from Georgetown University, who I guess had written this as part of his um, his uh, dissertation. He had done a thesis. And we used the, that thesis as well as a number of the references that were in it um, to research the story, as well as uh, there's the Alexandria Archaeology Museum um, that also had some additional information. We were able to get some artifacts that they had found um, in the building when they had done some archaeological um, excavation some years ago. And then they had just some historical records um, and some National Archives so, and Library of Congress. So a number of different um, resources that we used. And in terms of, you know, bringing the story together, you know, with a project like that, uh, telling that kind of story, I mean, there was just so much information. I mean, how do you decide what stays and what goes and, and what's the most important to tell? Um mm -hmm. 
you know, initially we actually had wanted to be able to trace the slaves that we found on Manifest because they, they actually shipped the slaves down south in ships um, during the cold winter months, and so we were able to find some of those manifests with the slaves' names. Um, but unfortunately, wow. because of the fact that, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it, you know, it was really, it was actually, it was a very emotional thing looking at those manifests and, and looking at the, the, the names and the ages of these slaves wow. that, that went through that building. It, it, you know, everything from four months old to 43, you know. Wow. It, it, just, hmm. it, 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 it was a wake-up call, I think, for me, um, just in terms of the fact that we owe so much to our ancestors. Um, and, and I think for me, working on this project helped me to understand that even though I was born in Africa, raised here, I know where I come from, I can trace my roots back as far as I, I wanted to, um, understanding, finally understanding, I think, because a lot of the stuff we're just, we're not taught in school, I mean, for a number of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it helped me to understand and make the connection to the fact that, you know, these were, these were my brothers and sisters. They were maybe a little further removed, but their history was also my history, that we're, you know, we have that common bond. Um, I think that's why it made such an impact on me. Um, so, you know, we tried to trace back some of the stories on the manifest, but unfortunately when slaves were sold to new owners, they changed the last name to the new owner. Um, we were unfortunately not able to find very many uh, names that we could trace back and see what happened to them after they left the, uh, the slave pen. So the one story we were able to find was actually um, a man by the name of Lewis Henry Bailey who was sold down south, um, away from his mother in Alexandria, to his family in Texas. He was given his freedom in 1863, walked back from Texas to Alexandria, and managed to get his education, founded several churches and schools that are still in existence today. So, you know, we really try to find some of those stories, I think, that that were uplifting, and and Solomon Northup's story is also featured in the (laughs) museum as well. Um, that, you know, you see the tragedy, but then you also see the hope. And I think that's the, that's the theme we tried to, to bring throughout the, uh, the story and just the different themes. So there's the business of the slave trade. There's how cotton was really a driver of the world economy. Um, I mean, just so many different aspects to it. Uh, but it was pretty comprehensive, and it's not, it's not a huge space, but we're able mm. to fit quite a bit of information into a a limited space. Oh, really, that's that's pretty interesting because, you know, um, one of the things in knowing this, Julian, is I want to say that I love your dedication to your community and also the other global communities too because you don't just minus, you know, the other ones. You know, you work with people in every global community imaginable across all industries, and I just want our audience to know that. So what do you love about these collaborations, and what advice would you give others about connection with communities across the board? Uh, You know, I think um, growing up in a very, I don't want to say multicultural, but, you know, culture was just a part of who we were. We, We celebrate our culture. We demonstrated it, we taught others about it. We still do now, in fact. 
And so I think growing up in that, I, I always had a curiosity about other cultures and about, you know, people who came from different backgrounds. And, you know, my, my circle of friends has always been diverse. And I think it's because of that, or partly because of that, that I have such a, um, an unlimited view of, you know, what things could be or how to even, I mean, even comes down to how you think about a certain project. I think the more you expose yourself to different cultures, um, to different people from different backgrounds, I think the more likely you are to come up with very creative ways to solve different problems regardless of, you know, what industry, what um, line of work that you're in. So I think that would be one. And I think, too, one of the things that has helped me do is empathize more with people from different backgrounds, regardless of, you know, what what country they may be from, what their ethnicity is. Um, I think understanding some of the struggles that I've had growing up as an African in America and having to find a way to assimilate um, and, and, and in a sense, learn to walk in my own shoes, which is something that I, I'm writing about and putting out a book about in May, um, that's really helped me to understand, especially with the youth, how they struggle to reconcile, you know, their cultural, their historical heritage to the world around them. Um, so it's just, I, I mean, for me, it just it colors everything that I do, and I think that's part of why I, I can honestly say I haven't had a dull moment in quite a while. So, Julian, what do you see in the future for the people of the diaspora in business? And you said in business? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, what's interesting. Uh, I, think, I think what I'm seeing is a, a lot more collaboration across borders. That is definitely something I'm, I'm seeing a lot more of. Um, whether it's, you know, Africans in the Caribbean or the Caribbean. I mean, there's already a, a, a legacy, a historical legacy of these groups working together. Um, and that was more so during, you know, the Black Power Movement and the independence movement in Africa and all that. So there's a lot more of that. And then it started kind of dying down for various reasons. But I think now, and I would say technology probably has a lot to do with it as well. And also, you know, the... the, the um, phenomenon of globalization, um, you know, now you have no excuse for being ignorant. The information is there. Um, it's, it's really up to you to go looking for it. And I know a number of African governments are actually making um, efforts. I'm not sure how concerted, but they're making efforts to reach out to the diaspora, so not just their own countrymen, but, you know, the African-American community you know, Brazil, like I said, has a major diaspora. They're doing a lot of business on the continent. And then even here, reciprocating that. So I see um, a lot of opportunity for um, collaboration in business across the African diaspora. Um, I think it's going to take people willing to educate themselves and really take the time to understand the different cultures, because I think that's, you know, cultural competency is something that is going to be a must in business. You know, you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to get away from it because um, globalization has just grown to a point where you're either getting with it or you're going to be out of business not too long from right. now. I mean, it's just a, such an interdependent network now. So um, I really think that there's so many opportunities, but I think 
part of this challenge, and, and I'm speaking now more so in terms of the opportunities that there are on the continent in Africa, there's so many opportunities to do business there, but there's still quite a bit of um, the negative stereotypes that are plaguing the continent, which I think keeps some people wary of doing business there. But for those who take the time to look beyond the propaganda, the negative propaganda, and really go see for themselves, they're, they're reaping quite a few rewards. So, you know, I, I, I think there's, there's only going to be more collaboration, and I'm seeing it across industries. Okay. That's Some good stuff. <laughs> that is, it's it's really good stuff, and you know, um, Julian, really, or I can say it's Julian Wow because you know this is the stuff that we talk about all the time, but we're not working it in the way that you know you are. You know, the children in our community, Julian. This just brings me to another subject. The children in our community are really in need of good education. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. of that, and how does culture play a role, especially crime towards each other within our communities? Yeah. You know, I think about that a lot. And, you know, that's one reason why, um, in terms of some of the consulting I do, I really want to work more with youth. I had an opportunity to work on several youth projects last year. And the thing I love about working with youth is that they're, they, they're, they're actually really thirsty for information, um, but the problem is they're getting the wrong kind of information, and so if you don't have something else to fill that that hole of, of you know knowledge that they want to fill, they're going to get the wrong stuff. And so you know, for me, I definitely have a passion for youth. I have a ten year old daughter myself, and I'm very mindful of you know number one, her knowing where she's from, understanding her culture, understanding her roots. Um, and taking the time to embrace and learn about other cultures, which she's, I mean, she's wonderful at doing. Um, you know, and I have friends who actually also have programs where they take some of these inner city youth from uh, D.C. in particular and take them um, to different parts of the diaspora. So I have one friend who has a, a program, and she takes the youth to Costa Rica, which has a huge African diaspora there, um, another friend who's taken youth to Ghana. And when these kids go and they come back, it's like they have a completely different perspective because their worldview has been impacted by just getting out of their one block or two blocks that they're used to being and, and just a very having a very myopic view of the world to now realizing, wow, there's so much more out there. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of exciting people to meet, a lot of new things to learn and, um I've definitely seen how it's made an impact. And, you know, for me, I'm very passionate about the arts as well, just being both a performing and a visual artist. Um, So I try to incorporate that in in most of the work that I I do, whether it's with youth or with adults. But I really think, you know, and and for me, again, it comes back to working on this project with the Freedom House Museum. I, I recognize that because of the fact, not even just youth but adults as well, we don't understand our history, and if we think we understand it, we think that um, in terms of African-American history, it started with slavery, and there's nothing before that. When you don't understand beyond what you've been told, or you don't take the time to seek out that information, and maybe you don't, know where, you don't know where to find it, when you don't understand that, I think you're very likely to, to just go astray very easily and that's why I, I'm just so grateful for, at least now, I wasn't as grateful growing up when my parents forced us to speak our language or wear our 
traditional clothing and all those things. But in hindsight, I'm I'm just so grateful because I, I it it gave me the foundation I needed to to just stand in my own truth, to stand in my own shoes, to just be who I am and not worry about whatever baggage I may be carrying from whoever. So I think it's our youth. It, it, they need to understand the reality of, of slavery, um, and that's one reason I actually really enjoy giving tours of the museum to youth in particular. Um, but beyond that, they need to understand that their story and their ancestry and their history didn't start with slavery, didn't end with slavery, and that there's so many people who were born of that era that went on to do amazing things with so much more limited resources than we have now. And that's the message I always try to give youth is that, you know, if you look at someone like um, Lewis Henry Bailey that was sold from the Alexander Slave Pen to Texas, walked back, got his education, and then founded schools and churches that are still in existence today, almost 100, actually more than 100 years later, um, they, they just really don't have, they don't have an excuse. Um, so I think <laughs> we can't leave it to teachers and expect the, the educational system to educate our youth and tell them all these things. You know, we have to, as adults, whether you're a parent, whether you're an uncle, whether you're a friend, we have to take the initiative and teach these youth their history, but just go beyond that to get them to understand they're capable of so much more, which many of them have probably never heard. And that, that brings me to my next question, Julian. Speak, now, this question is very dear to me, as Gail knows. Julian, I want to ask you, my son was uh, killed, my 14-year-old son was killed by mistaken identity um, within wow. our community, you know. And, and Gail and I have both worked in different ways to really connect with these kids, these at-risk kids. How do we get through to them? How, how, do we get, uh, how, how, do we get, how do we tell them how important education is? And when you are you talking about like youth, black youth from different, so immigrant youth, is that what you're talking about? Just in general, um, both, you know, um, immigrant youth, uh, that's important because they have a lot of uh, things that they need to work on for conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And how do we get them to, how do we get the message to these, these young, young people? You know, I think the thing that I've found is you have to meet them where they are. I think very often as adults, we are used to communicating a certain way, and we think because that's how we communicate, that's how these youth are going to, you know, um, receive the information. So what I've learned, and again, this is why I'm such a proponent of arts and culture, and even with my organization, African Dancer for Change, culture is a huge part of what we use um, in our programs because we, we recognize that culture is a way to, to bridge those gaps, to bridge those divides, and to bring people together and, and show our similarities. So, um, you know, I'll give you a great example. So there's a project that I worked on um, last year that a friend of mine, her name is Nicole DeWeaver, and she is actually an amazing performing artist who um, was actually part of the cast of Fela on Broadway and has worked with just about every major um, celebrity as a, as a dancer. Um, and so she started a program. She's originally from St. Martin in the Caribbean. And so the youth there actually have very similar issues to, you know, what we see in a lot of our, our urban cities. And, and sometimes not even just urban cities, just in our cities with our youth. And so, you know, she understood that, that art, 
and culture are a way to get youth to connect and to just express themselves in a way where they don't have to even use words. So she started this program called Art Saves Lives um, last year in St. Martin and brought in 16 artists from different genres, everything from ballet to tap to hip-hop. I taught East African dance, um, contemporary jazz, uh, just everything. And so she brought in these 16 artists um, from the United States to go to St. Martin, and we did a one-week summer intensive with these youth where they, mm-hmm. they learned every day. They learned eight different art forms, and at the end of that week they had to perform and showcase everything they had learned. I wow. mean, it was just everybody who was involved in that project, it was such an amazing experience. And for me it just underscored what I knew, um, that, that the arts and culture have a way of, speaking to our youth. I mean, parents who had their kids in the program who were just very skeptical about it in the beginning of the week told us, you know, my child is transformed in one week. The child was transformed from the program. So I think it really takes doing things differently. You know, they say the definition of insanity is is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Um, (laughs) You know, it, it it takes being innovative, and I really think because youth are so into the arts and music and dance and, and fashion even, um, I think there's a lot of opportunities to do that type of programming where you can really engage them and, and teach them but make that more of a subliminal message uh, because they can, they can, you know, smell a rat a mile away, you know, um, <laughs> and, and teach them through a medium that they actually enjoy and um, would actually really enjoy being a part of. Um, so that that would be my one recommendation. That's just because I think I actually wrote a blog post about this, why the arts are the answer to saving our youth, and it's just something that has been proven time and time again. But, you know, as you know, there's been so much funding cut from art programs right. um, in the educational system, you know, but that's still not an excuse because as people who are concerned um, adults in our communities, it's, it's up to us to get creative and find other ways to bring those, you know, services and those programs to our youth that they may not be getting in school. Interesting. Hopefully Quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is really interesting. And, you know, we know that we could stay on here with you forever, so we're not going to do that to you, Julian. We know you're going to be here So, you know, on another subject now, Julian, the journey as an entrepreneur, I saw you started um, boldandfearless.me. Was that to share your journey as an entrepreneur? You know, that, that's actually a really interesting story. The, the short version of that story is that, um, I, you know, I realized that it was time for me to make a, a, a change in my life. So, you know, one of the things that I'll be doing is actually shutting down my company, Vibrant Design Group, in the next few months and really focusing more on bold and fearless, on doing more writing, um, and, and really just branching out to do some of the things that I had been putting on the back burner, um, but I realize now it's really time to just step out and do a number of those things. that have just been sitting in my spirit for a while, and it, it's just time. So I love bold and fearless because I recognize that a lot of the struggles that I've had in my own personal and professional life um, you know, a long time ago I recognized that those struggles were not 
just for the sake of going through stuff, but it was for the sake of getting through it and being able to help other people um, deal with their own struggles because I've been there and give them tools that they can use, um, whether it's personal or professional. So I really created that as a platform to share, to inspire, to encourage, to educate, um, and just as a place where I can bring everything that I've learned, everything I've done, every tool in my toolbox to the table without having to compartmentalize all of these disparate things that I do, whether it's in my personal life, in my business, or in the community, and use all of that to just, you know, get people, I think, to think differently, Um, which, I mean, it's been great. It's been very well received, gotten some amazing feedback, and I've actually been having a lot of fun with it. Well, you know, I, I, Jay, I just wanted to ask her one question because I know you have your next mm-hmm. one and we don't have too much time left. You know, uh, you know, this is something that I have been struggling with as well, um, Julian. How much do I put out about myself? Because, you know, like you're bold and fearless. It's like you're sharing yourself what you've been through. But do you have a cutoff point as to how much you do share? Because you're going not only into your business life now, you're going also into your personal life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually, you know, it took me a while to get to the point where I felt comfortable enough to write about certain things because they were deeply personal. And in our culture, very much in the African culture, and I'm sure in quite a few other um, cultures, you know, it's almost taboo to really talk about your personal issues and your personal struggles and so on and so forth. Um but I got to a point where I realized, and I think I felt like it was just God just hit me over the head with it, you know, this is not for you. This is not for you. This is not for you. Yes, you went through it, but you're supposed to use it to empower, inspire, educate others. And so, you know, my there, there definitely is a cutoff. So, um, you know, there's certain experiences I write about, and they'll be personal, but there's certain details that I leave out because I recognize that, you know, whether or not I put that in there, it's not going to really make a difference in the story. Um, I'm also very um, protective of my family. So, you know, if I ever write about them, I may not necessarily answer for their permission, may not necessarily mention them by name. Um, But there are certain things that I just, I mean, even my daughter, I'm very mindful of of how much um, I put out there about her. And I, I definitely think that there's certain things that should remain sacred. But my general rule of thumb is, you know, more often than not, I will definitely pray about it before I put it out there. For me, my spiritual foundation, I mean, that's that's where everything uh, pretty much begins and ends. And then I have to really think about, you know, is my resistance to putting this information out there more about my ego or is it really because, you know, I'm, I'm my spirit is telling me, you know what, you really shouldn't put this out there. So, I've learned to become pretty in tune with um, what I write and what I put out there and just, you know, where I am spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all of that. Um, And, you know, for the most part, I've just, people, I think what I've I've gotten back from people, I recognize that, you know what, I'm not the only one having these struggles. I'm not the one who's gone through this. And what I've gotten back has far outweighed the... um, I think initial resistance I had to putting some of this out there, just knowing that people are really being impacted by what I'm writing, what I'm saying, um, and that that really ultimately was the goal. So that's really how I measure, I think, how much I put out there. 
It's so funny you should say that because, Jay, and gonna, we only have a few more minutes. So all I can say is thank you because basically what you said is who I am as well, strong, you know, my strong belief in God. And also, you know, that, you know, when you're really clear about yourself, that's the most important yeah. thing. So, Jay, Absolutely. I know you had um, – we have th- uh, about four more quick questions for you. So, Jay, would you go on to your next question? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt it. Sure. Uh, Julian, I see your success at your branding and design company. Uh, share, with uh, us how you achieve, share with us how you achieve that, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, a little bit. Uh, you know, when I first started the, the company in 2006, I, you know, it was actually, I think the, the, the biggest thing um, is kind of where I am now. I was very clear on what I wanted. I was very clear on, um, you know, who I wanted to work with, the kind of projects I wanted to work on, you know, develop the business plan, actually um, work with a women's business center in Northern Virginia who were incredible um, to develop the business plan for the business and really went through the motions, forcing me to think through um, what I wanted. I, I think I would say that the, the greatest factor in that success was really just confidence. Really and truly, it comes down to every entrepreneur who is looking out there to get into anything. It comes down to this just, you know, um, unquestionable belief in what you're really passionate about and what you want to do and how, not only what you want to do and what you're passionate about, but how it is going to serve others. I think that's the biggest thing. That's, that's you know, one of the biggest things people have to be clear on. Um, so, you know, when I first started out, I was very clear. I was, I'm, I've always been very ambitious. And I really knew what I wanted. And because of that, I, I was willing to just step out of the box and do things differently, um, network um, differently, build the business differently. Um, I had been a freelancer before, but when I started Vibrant, I really wanted to build a business where, you know, I was able to hire other people to do the work and I wasn't doing everything myself. And so, you know, I think when you're clear about what you want, you're passionate about it, you're confident about it, you're going to put out the kind of energy that attracts Mm -hmm. the kind of work that you want to do. And that's really what happened with me. I mean, just about all the work that I um, got, I mean, even the Freedom House Museum, that was actually the very first project that we got um, mm-hmm. under Vibrant Design Group. So, um, And then from there, everything was just word of mouth, word of mouth, doing great work, you know, knowing how to give good customer service, um, good work, you know, not skimping on things. Uh, you know, I think there's a, a number of different factors, but I would say that the most important ones are just the belief in what you're doing, clarity about, you know, what your purpose is, and then understanding how what you're doing is serving others. Wow. Well, you know, um, Julian, as a mother, I'd like to know what is most important to you for the future of your children. Uh, what is most important? Um, I think what's important, uh, what's most important to me and which I, I would say just based on what other people have said to me about my daughter, which is, it just makes me happy as a mother, um, is just knowing exactly who she is. Um, from the time she was born, I've, you know, I've told her, don't let anyone ever tell you who you are. Just, you know, you have to know that for yourself and just giving her um, a very clear sense of, of, of her heritage. I mean, she was born here in the U.S. 
Um, but both her uh, her father and myself were both Ugandan, and so I tell her you may have been born here, but you have Ugandan blood that runs in you, so consider yourself Ugandan. So she'll tell people that, you know, that she's Ugandan. Um, and even just having her, uh, I'll take her to meetings with me, whether it's for business or for the community organization. She's actually performed in a couple of shows with me. Um, so for me, I think the most important thing, and because it's something that took me a long time to, to understand and grasp myself, I had to really work through it. I said, I don't want the same thing for her. I want her to know who she is from the, from get, you know. So uh, I think the most important thing is just is knowing who she is. And, you know, first and foremost, as with me, God comes first. Um, so I think she's she's pretty clear on that. Well, my final question um, to you is: What cause do you support? What cause do I support? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, you know, outside of my uh, the work that I'm doing with my consulting and um, the work that I've done with my business my community organizations are African Diaspora for Change. That is really my passion. So anything to do with Africa and the diaspora, um, that that building bridges, educating people, um, my ultimate goal is to just to help rebrand the image of Africa and Africans and the African diaspora. Um, that That's something I'm very passionate about. That's why you, my last question, Julian, is why do you, why do you support that? Why do I support that cause? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's just that's who I am. You know, that's who I am. That I think that there's such a um, you know even even now there's still such a misconception um, about Africa, and then all the misconceptions and misunderstandings that happen within the different communities in the diaspora. And I just believe that, you know, if we really knew who we were and the legacy um, that we come from, then we'd be a lot clearer about the legacy we need to leave. Um, So, you know, with everything that I do, I I always make sure people know, you know, that that's a huge part of who I am. You know, I'm I'm African, but I I claim the entire diaspora. And, you know, I think by doing that, especially with African Americans, I find that they're they're sometimes surprised um, and just often just happy that they're being welcomed by um, an African and they don't feel, you know, any less than, which unfortunately still happens a lot in our communities. And, and that, that goes both ways, you know. But for me, it's really about bridging the divide, especially for these youth. Um, you know, I saw, like I said, I saw the impact of it in, in, uh, when I did the program in St. Martin. I was teaching East African dance to these Caribbean youth, and some of the, the moves that I was teaching, like, oh, that looks like another dance that we learned, you know, here, and that looks like another dance that we've learned here, and that looks like one of our cultural dances. So more than anything, it's about building bridges, and, you know, for, for both the adults and the youth, and the youth is really where we need to be more focused than anything. Um, so that, yeah. that's something I'm, I'm very, very passionate about. Well, I want to say thank you very, very much. Um, Jay has behaved himself. I'm very glad about that. (laughs) And, um, Jay, I would think that this has been eye-opening for you, especially with relation to your son. 
yes, very eye-opening and, and, and very informative, and, and um, she's very intellectual. I really appreciate uh, her coming on the show. It's been great. Oh, well, thank I, I, you. I appreciate you all having me. Well, it was amazing. So we've had two amazing women today, Anita Boninger sharing with us about different forms of owning our femininity. And this is why I loved the fact that both of you were on, Julian, because Anita is someone who speaks about really owning our femininity. It's something that we as women don't, you know, we always feel we have to be strong across all ethnic groups. You know what I mean? And right. the important the importance of today's show was really around a theme of an event we're having tonight as well, which is women and men in partnership. Because it, it, we're getting to the point of it's great, but we're coming from a, a context as women of empowering ourselves and sometimes in a space of saying it's a man's world, so I'm going to show you that I'm equal. Rather uh-huh. than empowering ourselves as ladies, to be, you know, just to be in partnership with men as women. Right. Because I definitely don't Absolutely. want to be a construction I don't want to be a construction worker. I'm fine being a lady. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, and there are some women who want to do that. So, Jay, we notice you're being a little quiet over there, so we'll let it go. I don't want to be a construction worker either. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> and actually, if you don't mind, just if I, if I kind of tag on to that last comment in terms of, you know, women learning, we don't have to you know, try to be the man's equal, but it's more about partnership. I think a lot of that goes back to learning to walk in our own shoes. So that yeah. said, I did just want to mention that I have a shoe, a, a, a shoe coming out. I have a book <laughs> that I'm co-writing <laughs> with my sister. Um, it's coming out in May. It's called Whose Shoes Are You Wearing? 12 Steps to Uncovering the Woman You Really Want to Be. And it actually talks a lot about some of the things that we, we've talked about in this interview. So if people want to Check it out. They can go on Facebook. It's Whose Shoes Book. Um, and mm. we have the website coming up soon. And just really, really excited about it. Well, you know, I'm really excited. And before we go, um, you can find Julian at Julian Kaganda at African Diaspora for Change. You can also find her at the Vibrant Design Group.com, bold, bold and fearless. Dot me Again, it's boldandfearless.me. And if you're looking for Anita T. Boninger, who was our earlier guest, you may find her at the somawellnessarts.com. And, you know, Julian, I would love to connect you with Anita because she's been on the Dr. Oz show and a lot of others talking about owning our inner femininity. And as, you know, you do a lot with women of color, I think that mm-hmm. in that whole diaspora of women of color, and people don't realize women of color includes Caucasian, African-American, African, Indian, uh-huh. Latino, all across, every, all women across the world. We are so uh-huh. we have to release the feminine, the masculinity, and learn that we can walk in our own shoes. So I think you know possibly you and Anita doing something might be amazing. I would appreciate that. I would love to connect with her. You know, so thank you so much again for being on our show, and you both yes. are the listen, listen givers of the week. So thank you so much again, Julian. Thank you all for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.